Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore. Sweet atmosphere in here. We've already had such a lovely time here together. It's good to be with you. It is the first Sunday in June, which means we will be receiving the gift of the Lord's Supper in a little bit. Um, it's also going to be kind of the unofficial start for summer here. I realize that the calendar hasn't flipped to summer yet, although it feels like it. Uh, at least it did earlier this week. Um, but we're going to do a summer series between starting this Sunday through Labor Day weekend. I think there'll be 13 Sundays in all. And we're going to go through the book of Psalms together. All right, so um, 13 weeks is a little bit of a long series, but a very short series if you're trying to get through the Psalms, because there's way more than 13. Um, But we will be going through the Psalms together. And I think Psalms is just one of those books, one of those collections that's important to come back to on a frequent basis for a lot of reasons. It's such an unusual book, beautiful book, but unusual book in so many ways. There's just not another book like it that's got such a wide variance where you've got prayer and praise, where you've got celebration of God's character, and you've got this crying out in despair, where you've got um, rejoicing over things going well and lamenting over things that are not, where it's begging God for intervention and half angry that the unrighteous are prospering. It just goes all over the place. And it's when you look at the life of Jesus in particular, um, Jesus in human form was very reliant on the Psalms. Um, depending on how you count it, some would say it's more references to Isaiah, some would say more to the Psalms. But um, when you track the references to the Old Testament that Jesus makes throughout the course of his life, the Psalms were just the song that lived inside of Jesus. When he was um, rejoicing, when he was teaching, when he was on the cross, when he was praying, he would regularly refer to the Psalms. And I think it points to just some of the depth that's there, some of the reason for us just needing to regularly revisit those and get them inside of us the same way they were inside of Jesus because, you know, when you would push Jesus, you know, and he would say scripture, that, that's when you know something's not just in your mind, but it's in your heart, right? When you get pushed, when life happens, and whatever comes out is reflective of kind of what you're deeply immersed in. And Psalms is often what he would, um, what he would spill out in his moments of both joy and anguish. So, we are going to be going through the Psalms. Um, we are going to not necessarily go in chronological order, but we will start in chronological order. We will start with the first Psalm, um, this is, it's, there's always a temptation to hyperbolize a little bit, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into it. I think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. How about that to uh, get our attention? Uh, so we've done this once or twice in the history of River City, for those who've been around for a while. Um, but it's one, uh, you could easily do this every year because two reasons that Psalm 1 is important. For one, it's the first one. Um, and almost all the scholars and commentators who look at Psalms say Psalm 1 is a very strategic Psalm because it's a gateway. It's an entrance into all the other Psalms. And it's a psalm on meditation, so say that word with me, meditation. That's what we're thinking about today as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. It's on meditation, and it's really making a pretty spectacular claim right off the bat. It's in, in so many words, Psalm 1 is saying, if you want to understand the whole Psalter, the whole book of Psalms, you really have to understand this idea of meditation. That meditation is kind of the key idea that travels through all the rest of the Psalms, that it gets to the nature of what the Psalms can and should do for us in you know, historically, when from a Christian perspective, if somebody says, how do I pray? Teach me how to pray. The two places that somebody's going to go usually is the Lord's Prayer and then Psalm 1. 
in terms of how to instruct us and inform us and prepare us to really be able to pray in a deep way. And so all the Psalms are in that same spirit, but Psalm 1 is a really important introduction to that. So no further uh, intros needed. Let's go ahead and read it. Let's stand together. We're going to read Psalm 1. It's a short Psalm, six verses, but it is power-packed. Psalm 1. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord, and meditate, say it again, meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will be destroyed. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So meditation. That is what Psalm 1 is about. And my actual goal here, as quickly as possible, I'm going to try to turn the corner and to be as practical as possible and ask what is it and how do we do it. Um, But what I think is arguably one of the most important parts of Psalm chapter 1 is um, the writer of Psalms paints a vision for the importance of meditation. And it's it's almost ludicrous how far the writer of the Psalms goes when talking about how important meditation is. So three images in there. You just see them in a row. Just kind of tag them in your Bible. We'll just quickly go through all three. Um, in fact, same with me, each one. one. One word for each one. Blessed, delight, tree. Tree planted by streams of water, but that felt too long to, to repeat after me. So all three of these are part of the vision. Each, each, um, each drawing out something unique about what meditation is. And I seriously think when you reflect on these three, I don't know how anybody can reason and not go, man, I need to be meditating more if this is really true. So let's start with blessed. Blessed is a word that unfortunately doesn't really fully translate into English. We just don't have any kind of a word in English that's similar to blessed. Um, You know, when you say God bless you, you're certainly not realizing the full depth of what you're saying to somebody. To be blessed in the biblical sense is this word that describes Oh, I don't know. John 10.10 10 is probably the closest you can almost come to. When, John, when and Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I've come to bring life in all of its fullness. All right? That's what blessed is describing. When it says, I've come to bring life in all of its abundance. That's what this word blessed is getting to. When it says a person is blessed or when you wish a, blessed, a blessedness on somebody, you are wishing them uh, a full and abundant and depth experience in the fullness of who God is. All right? It's this really big, this really beautiful word. And you've got this huge collection of Psalms and it starts off by saying, blessed, blessed is the person who knows how to meditate on the law of God. It's, it's, it's he, the, the Psalm is tying it directly to, if you want to be able to experience fullness, if you want to be able to experience abundance, if you want to be able to experience all that God has, if you want to experience blessedness, you need to know how to meditate. All right, that alone, I'd go, okay, sign me up. I want to know how to be blessed, right? But he goes even further. He, he, he escalates even higher up in verse 2. So he starts with all the negatives, and we're not going to dwell on those um, just for time's sake. Verse 2, so blessed is the one who, del- who delights in the law of the Lord, meditates on his law day and night. This word, this is one of my favorite words in the Bible, is the word delight. Right? It paints a picture. 
I mean, I, I still consider myself rather youngish, but I've now been in full-time ministry for 20 years, right? So um, I can start doing those annoying condescending things. In 20 years of ministry, what I've seen is, uh, um, but I'm not saying this would be condescending. I've walked with so many people who want to experience God, and this would be my unofficial get. Very few people ever experience on an ongoing basis delight in their relationship with God. I think there's a lot of reasons why we don't. Um, in fact, last two weeks at River City, we've been talking about some of the lies that separate us from this. I think sometimes we don't know, we don't trust that this is true of the character of God, that God delights in us. Uh, we don't trust that we're worthy to be delighted in. Uh, we don't trust that we're righteous enough to be allowed to delight in God. Um, a lot of times at best, we can see God as kind of a rule a God who kind of creates rules and regulations, and so we hope to adhere to those and be on God's good side. But delight describes something so much further than keeping the rules, right? Uh, A delight gets this kind of emotive, this joyful kind of reality. And so it's just so important to see how regular this comes up in Scripture, including Psalm 1, just reminding us that this is who God is. God delights in us, whether we believe that or not. That's how the Bible describes it. God delights in us. And what we see in Psalm 1 is God doesn't want us just to know that God delights in us. God wants us to be able to learn how to delight in God. And the psalmist says the key, at least a key, maybe the key, to moving into deeper stages of being able to delight in God is this idea of meditation. That the one who meditates, the one who knows how to meditate on God's word, not only is blessed, but they can learn how to delight in God's very presence, right? Boy, that's, sign me up, right? I mean, if that's a key, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like the, 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 the vision that the psalmist, you know, one, two, three comes, and then, and then there's this very famous image that the, the psalmist finishes with in this to get to the vision. It says, the one who delights, the one who meditates on the law of, of, of God, the word of God, not only is blessed, not only delights, but there's this vision of being able to become like a tree, planted by streams of water, right? And one of the reasons I love this psalm is there's, there's nothing complicated about these, right? You don't need to know original Hebrew words to get to the idea of a tree planted by streams of water, right? The image speaks for itself. It's, it's an image of strength, of poise, of stability, of, of the roots of your life down deep and drawing nourishment, right? And one of the clever things that the psalmist does here in Psalm 1 is it's, it's, he talks about how it bears fruit in season, and it's getting to this idea that meditation allows us to have deep roots, and it's acknowledging the fact that there are seasons of life, right? There are going to be some seasons that are good and feel like the winds are at your back and things are going a little bit easier, and then they're going to feel there are going to be some seasons in life that just feel like hell on earth, right? And one of the reasons it's so important, I think, that the psalmist includes this in Psalm 1 is it's, it's constantly reminding us that there's a human tendency. It's really loud, Sorry. You know, me and my ADD, that's all it takes is, uh, you hear that too, right? Y'all gave me a funny, okay, just making sure I'm not, that's not unusual. I hear things that others don't. So he gives this image of a tree planted by streams of water and that's got fruit in season and out of season. And it's getting to this reality that there is a human temptation, a very real one, and a very, it comes with a lot of consequence. Let me say like this. We are always at risk of interpreting the nature of God's character through the lens of the circumstances of our life. You see what I'm saying, right? When things are going good in your life, we will naturally want to interpret God's character through that lens and say, well, God must be good <laughs> because things are going good for my life. 
Right? But when things start getting hard, when things start getting difficult, when suffering happens, when loss happens, when trauma happens, it will then be inevitable if you're going to say good things mean God is good. What are you going to think about God when bad things happen? Are you going to think God is ruthless or God is not present or God doesn't care or God is not powerful? And what this psalmist just in a simple but beautiful way reminds us is that that's not the question is whether seasons will come and seasons will go. It's not the question of whether there will be good seasons, bad seasons. That's a given. That's life on this side of heaven. There will be some good seasons. There will be some bad seasons. But this vision of a tree planted by streams of water who can endure whatever season it's in, right? That meditation becomes a key piece to being able to be so connected to the heart of God that you're able to praise and thank God in times that are good, but that you're able to be says sustained and endure and have the perseverance to overcome when seasons are hard. Last one on this, but I was reading a commentary and they they referred to Elizabeth Elliot's quote on this. And a simple quote, but I think this is so beautiful, what she said, talking about this idea of a tree planted by streams of water. She says this, Joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Isn't that good? Joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God which is getting to the Psalm 1 idea. Meditation helps us keep us linked, thank you. Meditation helps keep us linked to the reality of the presence of God in season and out of season. During the seasons when it feels like the wind is at our back and during the seasons where it feels like the storm is battering us in the face. It's, that's not where joy comes from, is the absence of sorrow or trouble or difficulty or suffering of any kind. The joy comes from being connected to the presence of God. And meditation is what allows for that. This is a really elevated appeal to the importance of meditation, right? I mean, the, the, the psalmist really wants us to see the key, key role that meditation plays in the life of somebody that wants to walk deeply with God. So are you at least half convinced that it's really important? You see at least, even if you're not convinced, you see the psalmist approach, right, of how important this is, right? So let's, 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 try, to, um, let's try to spend a few minutes on the little more practical side of it, saying, what is it? How do I do it? All right, that's... that's to me, this one's a failure if you don't feel like, like, I'm not interested in you being like wowed by what the text says. I'm interested in you being able to say meditation is important and I can do it. That's really what I'm hoping you'll walk away from this with. So what is it? How do we do it? Let's start with what is meditation. Now, it is, I, I actually, I, I think it's fair that it's not always clear what this is because even the word meditation gets used differently in different circles. And I, I don't want to like overdraw a contrast between Christian meditation and meditations of other forms, but there are some confusing differences, I think. So for instance, in many forms of Eastern meditation, for instance, and I'm not saying any of this negative, I think this can be helpful too, but in many forms of Eastern meditation, the idea of meditation is to become still and to release everything from your mind, to kind of get to a state of tranquility and emptiness, which I don't doubt is probably a peaceful thing if you can do it. But you can see from the way the psalmist describes it, the Christian perspective of meditation is a little bit different. The idea is not to become empty from the Christian perspective. The idea is actually to become full, but to become full with the right thing, that the, the, the thesis of this psalmist is that scripture, that God's law, carries within it the potential for life, that carries within it the potential for truth, in that we need to position ourselves in such a way that that, that truth is getting deep inside of us. To use that image of the tree with the roots planted by water, where the water is the truth and the tree is us, and where we are where our roots are drinking in from that truth in such a way that it's getting inside all of us. So, so the word meditation, I think this actually helps knowing it comes from the Latin word, which means to contemplate. Say that one with me, if you will. Contemplate. 
So that's really the core idea of meditation from the psalmist perspective. So it's not complicated. It's to contemplate. It's to consider. It's to reflect on the truth of God. Do another pass of this to try to kind of get to the same idea. Historically, in Christian circles, if this isn't too overgeneralization, there's kind of three core practices that are seen as necessary, as disciplines. There's many more than this, but three that are just like the staples. And that would be studying of the Bible, prayer, and meditation. All right, so by describing these next to each other, I think it can help understand what the unique role of meditation plays. So studying of the Bible, prayer, meditation. You track with me on that? So the studying of the Bible, that gets much more to the information side of things, right? When we're studying the Bible, we're trying to understand what it says. We're trying to go to the kind of depths of it. We're trying to kind of seal that inside of us to develop kind of a view of the world according to Scripture. Uh, Certainly a very necessary practice is what we try to do here on Sunday mornings, what we try to do in Wednesday night Bible study. So that's study the Bible. Prayer kind of gets to the more conversational element with God where we both can talk to God and share things with God and ask things of God and then listen to God. Prayer obviously really is important. Meditation, it's not even that it's different than those. It's like it's a combination of them in a lot of ways. So what meditation does in so many ways, so let's take the study part, whereas study is trying to take information in and to really develop a new way of viewing the world through the biblical lens. So I'm talking about Bible study, talking about prayer, talking about meditation. You still track with me okay so far? So study is trying to get the information in, right? Trying to really learn it. Um, If we're going to link the meditation to the Bible study part, meditation is not so concerned with large volumes of information. Meditation is concerned with taking key pieces of what's in Scripture and then sitting with it long enough for it to get all the way in, right? Whereas Bible study is trying to accrue and and to take in this information, develop kind of a view of the world. Contemplation is trying to take certain pieces of that and not go for volume, not go for density, but to go for depth, to allow it to get deep inside of us. To link it to prayer, prayer in its best should be talking and listening, and really I think of it as best as probably is more listening anyway, but this would be, I think, one of the key distinctions between prayer and meditation. Um, meditation is, there's really no talking involved with meditation, Right? It's, it's a listening-based thing. It's taking something from God's truth and positioning ourselves in such a way where we're listening to what God wants to say to us through that. Right? It's not really designed to be super conversational. It's designed to really be contemplating, to be looking at this truth, to be listening to this truth, to be having it come deep inside of us. Right? One more pass at it. Um, two, two, two ways to think of. These are probably my two favorite images in terms of my own kind of journey with meditation. Um, first, I'll, I'll use this idea of um, uh, one commentary I read, read. He talks about taking truth and allowing it to rotate in your mind. So say that word rotate with me. So I think this is an interesting way to think of meditation. He said, kind of take it and almost like think of it like a 3D object. So if there's this truth, you're talking about the depth of God's love for you, whatever the truth is. We're going to actually practice this in a minute. But um, you take the truth that's from Scripture and then you kind of put it before you and you just try to like keep turning it around and say, what does it mean from this angle? What does it mean from this angle? Uh, how about if I looked at it from here? What would it mean here? What would it mean here? Where you're taking just one single idea and you're rotating it around and thinking about it from every angle. A lot of people I've read on this say, and I think this is probably true, this is saying it kind of in the negative way, but it does help us see how we all meditate anyway. Um, a lot of people say the most common form of meditation that we tend to do, which is not biblical meditation, the most common form of meditation that we all tend to do is worry. 
Worry is really a form of meditation, right? Now, we all feel anxiety. That's just part of the human experience. There's things we're concerned about. There's things, it could be money, it could be a relationship, it could be something, you know, it could be all, all set of all kinds of things. So any, everybody feels anxiety. Worry, though, in, maybe I'm just using these terms synonymous, but I'm, what I'm trying to get to is some of us could get kind of in a caught in a cycle with anxiety or worry, right? And that's really what we kind of do is the rotate thing. We, we think about the impending thing we're concerned about from every single angle. All right, we think, if I don't have enough money to pay this bill, what happens? You know? um, what if God doesn't come through this time? You know? uh, we, we just, we are laying in bed. It's just, and it, oftentimes it's involuntary, right? But you're just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Um, this is kind of what we want to do in the positive. It's to be able to hold God's truths in such a way where we're rotating them and considering them, contemplating them, listening to them, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak the truth that is already in your head, that you could say, I believe this, but, but allowing it to speak into you in such a way that it's really shaping and forming you. Does that, does that make sense? Let me give one more. Um, this one, uh, we'll call it heart growing, uh, the, a heart growing hot. Do we, have, do we have this graphic, Daniel, of um, Psalm, is it um, 30, 39, I think it was? Do you have that? If you don't, it's all right. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, that, that one. Okay, so this is in Psalm 39. This is one of the places where the psalmist is talking about meditation. And um, I'm just going to jump right to verse 3. He's struggling with anger. He's struggling with um, kind of worry and anguish. So he's meditating. So I love how he says this in verse 3. He says, as he was meditating, my heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. So I just think this is just another picture to consider what meditation is. Again, it's not complicated, but it's, it's taking a truth from Scripture and sitting with it long enough that it starts to burn in you. I think that's a cool image, right? Like, I mean, if you've got some kind of a wet garment and you need to dry it out in the sun, you can put it out in the sun for a minute, it gets a little bit of heat, but if you don't keep it out there long enough, the sun doesn't get in far enough, right? You've got to keep it out there long enough for the truth of the sun, the heat of the sun to get all the way in. And I think that's what happens with, tr- with God's truth sometimes. We hear something that we believe, it's really in our mind, but it hasn't, it hasn't gotten to the point where it like burns within us. And, you know, especially those who got a little bit of an artistic mind, I think you could kind of play with that idea, right? Where, where rotate is one way to think about it, I think burning is another. But you take some truth from Scripture, and it's kind of this idea, it's like you're here, the truth is here, the Holy Spirit's here, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit is the sun that's, that, that's, that's radiating this truth inside, into you. And you sit with it until the point that it goes from being an intellectual body of information to where it's alive inside of you, where it's hot inside of you. Now, tracking? All right, so let's do, let's do last question, how? Because, I, 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 again, my, my hope in this would be that you'd read this and go, man, blessed, yes, I want that. Delight, yes, I want that. Tree planted by streams of water, yes, I want that. Okay, then it says, blessed is the one who, who meditates in the law day and night. And there's a couple of different takes on what that means for the structure to you. You might like the first one. The first take on that would be when he says, blessed is the one who meditates on this day and night. Um, the more structured approach would say, like, this is, this is actually meant to be a rhythm thing, that we'd get to the place where every, mo- every morning and every night we're meditating on God's word. And that doesn't necessarily mean, have to be like a huge substantial amount of time or something, but where there's this kind of dedicated approach where we're coming back to it on a morning basis, on a nightly basis, and just continue to reflect on God's word. Um, the more unstructured kind of approach would say that it's, it's talking just, this is just thematic, that when it says that blessed is the one who meditates day and night, it's just getting to this idea that you're doing it on an ongoing basis. 
which being the unstructured person that I am, I'm going to prefer that one for myself, but I don't want to hold up one higher than the other. I think either one could potentially be right. The idea being, though, this isn't meant to be some regimented, oh, I got to meditate. The idea being that God's truth is like water, right? And I don't think... I don't think when I'm thinking about drinking or eating, like, oh, great, I have to eat or drink again, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, it's kind of appealing to the fact that our soul already longs for this, right? Our soul already longs for the sustenance from God's truth, and so it's building a rhythm into your life where you're meditating on God's word, All right? So how do you meditate on God's word? Well, somehow or another, you got to get the word in you, right? So that's obviously a starting point, and so certainly I hope that that's something you're able to do in your own to read the Bible, or if you ever need help finding devotionals, please know I'd be happy to help you think through that. But just to kind of connect some dots here, like this is some of how we try to hold it together here. Like Sunday morning is seen as a time to study scripture. And then the hope, my hope for sure, any Sunday when we're studying scripture, my hope is that we're setting people up to be able to meditate on that all week long. All right, so I think that's one way to do that is where the kind of what we're doing as a community becomes part of the meditation all week long. All right, so I'm going to do a real-time meditation for you, and then we're going to transition to um, the Lord's Supper together. So the last two weeks, we've done Ephesians chapter 6. And if you were here, you know that. If you weren't, you know, you'll catch on to this quick. So in Ephesians chapter 6, we're trying to sit in this truth that there's a very real battle happening between good and evil, a very real battle between God and principalities of darkness, right? And so chapter 6, we, in a more specific way, we looked at the end where it says, if it's true that there's this battle, then we need to suit up with the armor of God, right? We need to suit up with the armor of God. And so this is what I do, whatever we're working on. I then meditate on that all week long. Like, I don't look for new things outside of whatever we're doing on Sundays. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but I don't look for new things. I try to all week long think about whatever we studied that particular Sunday. And so this is, this is like, no, I'm not saying this is anything special about this. It's probably nothing even brilliant. I'm just trying to, t- like, this is what I think it looks like on a weekly basis, right? So I, all week long, in fact, this was a long one because there's like five pieces of armor of God. So I've been taking turns with each one. It talks about the um, belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword that's the word, the feet that are fitted for readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace. So I've been taking each one and doing the two things I talked about, rotating it or looking at it, letting my hot hearts burn hot. So I'll only do one. I've undone all five. But I've started with the truth one, all right? And every day, I try to multiple times throughout the day, yeah, I, 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 mean, I think this can be integrated in your everyday kind of things. Like when I'm driving, like, sometimes I'll be listening to music and I can't find a station. I'm like, you know what? Just stop. Just like, let's take 10 minutes to try to meditate, right? And I'll come back to whatever we were doing on that Sunday, um, you know, or when I'm walking around or, you know, creating a little bit of time in the morning. So on the truth one, that, that's the one where I have been meditating most all week long. It actually started with, um, there's Kim over here. Kim Moreland said something last week that triggered my meditation thought. She said, it's so interesting in the armor of, of God that it's not the helmet of truth. Or you would have thought it's the helmet of truth because the helmet's protecting the head. We all think of truth as a kind of intellectual thing, but it's not. It's the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth, and the belt holds all of it together. And that really got me thinking about the nature and how truth holds everything together in this fight between good versus evil. So I have just, every time I've gotten a chance, I just start thinking about what does that mean? That truth holds everything together in this fight between good and evil. And then I can remember one of the days, I think this is Monday, where immediately that started being connected to the idea of, well, if truth is an intellectual thing, which I think it is at least that, but it's more, well, of course it can't be just the helmet because Jesus is truth, right? Truth is an actual person. So I started thinking about John chapter 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And so then just started meditating going, so what does that mean that Jesus is truth and that that's so core to the battle between good and evil, not just in this impersonal way, but personally, if I'm gearing up, how do you wear a belt of truth? And then I started thinking about how lies is what tries to disrupt us from that truth, right? And so I started just, con- this, is all, this is all out of my prayer journal this week, right? So I just started contemplating. So if Jesus is truth and he wants me to hold him near and be held to him near, then the purpose of lies is to separate me from that, right? That there's actual battle happening where there are things that would like to keep me separated from this knowledge that Jesus is real, that Jesus is present, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus brings me to the heart of God, that that's a lot of what's happening is this lie that's trying to pull me away from it. So then I'm starting to think, what are the lies that pull me away from that? And what does that look like to really live into that truth? And then on a different day, I started thinking about how so much Brandon talked about um, how the armor of God is a communal activity and we need each other to hold that armor on. And I started thinking, boy, if the battle is between truth and lies, that means I need my fellow brothers and sisters to be helping me see this truth of Jesus in my own life. And so that that was part of my meditation of just saying, in what ways can I consciously point to ways in which I'm inviting people in my community to speak truth? And can I consciously point to ways where I'm authorizing people to expose lies in my life? And that really brought up some kind of interesting kind of things, like revisiting the degree of transparency I'm living in within community, the degree to which I'm inviting people into it. And then, I don't know, I could keep going on this. There's a whole other day where I started thinking about how there is, and boy, this gets so tricky, but there's a battle around truth. Like, truth is worth fighting for. And I started thinking about how that can go really off if you don't do it well, but there's a way to do that that's right. And I started thinking about what does it mean to be fighting for the truth that God loves all people and that God wants us to live in light of God's love. Right? I could keep going on and on and on with that, but that, that's to me what meditation looks like. Do you, 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 you feel what I'm saying? Like, it's not a new, for me, and again, I'm not saying it's the only way to do this. I'm not trying to do a, like a brand new Bible study every day a lot of times. I'm trying to add in meditation where I don't let a really good idea move away too quickly, where it's not getting all the way inside of me. I'm trying to, whether you want to call it rotating around, letting it burn until my heart's on fire, trying to take the ideas from God's word and meditating on them to a point where there's a delight happening. And that's where I want to end as we go into our time of receiving the gift of the Lord's Supper, remembering again that not only does meditation lead to blessedness, which I think it does when we're really filled with God's word? But that's the kind of quintessential mark of meditation is delight. And if that's not true of you, and for most of us it's not, it's not meant to be a guilt trip. It's not meant to be a hierarchy like, oh, great, there's some people who do this better and I'm not on that. That's not it at all. I think it's more intended to get us in touch with what our heart already longs for. See, we are created to know that God delights in us, And we are created to delight in God. And scripture is one of the keys that helps us do that. Meditation is one of the keys that helps us do that. And so to just recap it one more time, what meditation meditation does, it's taking the truth of God's word, and you're here, and it's allowing the Holy Spirit to speak that truth into us. Where we contemplate, where we reflect, where we sit in it, and let it get deep into us. And so as we prepare to receive the gift of the Lord's Supper, you know, this is a meditative exercise. The Lord's Supper is meant to be a 
communal meditative exercise where we don't just do it and where it's done. We're meant to, in the context of worship and in community and the presence of God, to really reflect on the deep meaning of what communion represents, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to just really sit in that and to let it rotate in our hearts and minds, to let it burn into us, that God really does love me to that degree. That communion reflects what we studied in Ephesians chapter 3, that we just still don't comprehend how deep God's love is and how wide God's love is and how long and how high the love of God is. Right? It's a time to contemplate on the seriousness of my sin, but the pervasive depth of God's grace and to know that when I step into the presence of Jesus and confess my sins, I am forgiven. Right? It's, it's a truth that we need to be aware of, but it's something that needs to live inside of our hearts. And so I'm praying that as we right now prepare this space to receive of the gift of the Lord's Supper, that you will get even yourself into a meditative space, into a contemplative space, and where you'll look at what these elements represent of flesh that was broken for you, blood that was spilled for you so that you can know you're forgiven, so that you can know you're loved, so that you can know you have purpose, so that you can know you have meaning, so that you can remember that God knew your name before you were even born, and that the Spirit of God lives inside of you and has called you to the very heart of God. So let's kind of turn this into a time of preparation and meditation and reflection. There's two stations on each side, so when you're feeling ready in the context of worship, you can come and receive the gift. There will be two people standing at each one who will give you the elements so that we can receive this in community. There will be elders in the back that can pray during this time, so if you need prayer, especially if you need healing or anything like that, we invite you to come and pray. And so let's just turn this into a meditative, reflective space as we point our eyes towards the goodness and magnitude of what God has done for us. Well, dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your presence in this space already. We acknowledge that when two or three are gathered, there's a particular sense of your presence in this place. We acknowledge that when we are receiving of this wonderful gift of communion, that there's something so uniquely special You told us to do this in remembrance of you. We're to remember, we're to think, we're to contemplate, we're to meditate on what it is you've done for us. The truth is as clear as could be. You loved us, you came for us, you died for us, you call us to yourself. May that truth clear the path for us that it's nothing but confession, nothing but repentance, nothing but faith that it takes to come and receive of this gift. But then we also pray that in the same way that the psalmist in Psalm 39 said that he sat with us until it was like a fire that burned in his heart. May what you have done for us, may the magnitude of what this means, the way that it represents your love for us and the world, your love for making broken things well, may, that, may the magnitude of that truth, the gospel that First Peter says the angels gaze at longingly because there's so much richness, so much depth, so much power. May we meditate on that together, seeing the goodness and richness of what you've done for us. So may this be a precious moment as a community and as individuals with you as we reflect on this gift. And all God's people said. You thought I was worth saving So you came and changed my life You thought I was worth keeping So you cleaned me up You thought I was to die for 
Yeah. 